Hey guys, this is Ryan. Uh, we're about to talk about two fairly violent movies, and these are movies that depict some truly horrendous acts and have some things to say about vigilante justice and police brutality. And in the current climate, we thought it was important to take a moment to talk about how these movies represent these topics. As you're no doubt aware, there are nationwide and even international protests going on against police brutality in the wake of the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and far too many others. Rob and I are both white middle-class dudes. We don't really know what it's like to be black in America or anywhere else, aside from what we see in movies, but we are very much of the opinion that black lives matter. We've both gone to peaceful protests. We've gone out to help clean up after the opportunistic looters that have been deluding and undermining the messages of those protests. And uh, to those who have been at those protests, we are with you in spirit and as often as we can be in person. And to those tempted to respond that all lives matter, we implore you to rethink your views. No one is saying that only black lives matter, but we are saying that at the moment, black lives are, are not always mattering. And that's, that's pretty rough. It's a bad thing to have going on. So we've decided to take the, the small platform that we do have and shine some light onto, some, onto black art. We, we've decided that going forward, uh, at least once a month, we're going to try to include some, uh, some black films uh, from black voices in America and outside of it. And to start with, next week we're going to be covering Spike Lee's new movie, The Five Bloods, and uh, comparing that with a movie from about 10 years ago called uh, Red Tails, which is about the Tuskegee Airmen. So, you know, we're going to have some fun with this one, but uh, remember that, you know, we're with you guys, and, you know, uh, black lives do matter. So thank you for listening to that, and thank you for listening to the podcast, and we are about to get started with The Punisher and Watchmen. Hi guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Crossroads. We will be discussing 2004's The Punisher, starring Thomas Jane, and 2009's Watchmen, directed by Zack Snyder. I'm Rob, and you already heard from Ryan. Uh, let's take it away. Yeah, so uh, let's start with The Punisher. Uh, this is an interesting little movie that I did not see when it came out. Um, it's... It's based on the character that I was never super into. The, I always thought the character was a little too violent for my taste, so I never I never got around to seeing it. Uh, have you seen this before? Yes, I saw this probably 2008 was the first time I saw it. Uh, my dad is a huge fan of this movie, so it's it's been talked about heavily in my household. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this is um, it's a pretty simple story. It's, uh, it's a revenge tale, basically. Um, it's Frank Castle, who is an undercover detective or undercover FBI uh, agent. FBI agent, and his he goes through a job which ends up getting the son of a mob boss killed. Who then he goes after Frank's family, and then Frank basically takes revenge on that. So it's a uh, it is the most two thousand four film I think I've ever seen, <laughs> complete with Hinder and Evanescence. Yes. It has um, has that song from Seether uh, with Amy Lee on it. And they, they play it like four times in the movie. It's ridiculous. So I like this movie a lot because unlike the modern Marvel movies, they're all connected to the, the Marvel universe. 
where back before the MCU was a thing, everything was standalone. And if, if you got more than one movie, you were lucky. And I feel like those standalone movies did the comic characters a little more justice than what they do now. And this is no exception. Yeah, it felt a little more grounded. It didn't have to worry about continuity so much. It just had a bunch of... It didn't rely on having jokes every ten lines. Yeah, there, there's some humor in it in the middle act especially, but mm-hmm. the beginning and end are particularly dark. Yeah, that humor definitely is there to balance it out. Yeah. So, there's there's a tonal problem, I think, with this movie. It, it tries very hard to be like that grim, dark thing that was yeah. going on throughout a lot of the you know early 2000s. And, and it succeeds to it for a, a time, but then there's there's the middle bit after um, after some pretty brutal action scenes when the the mob has taken out all of Frank's extended family basically, and he's just sort of recovering. He ends up in like a not in like a halfway house, just like a drug. It's den, just like basically. a dingy apartment building outside of um, New York. I think he is. Yeah. And uh, Ben Foster, who's just one of the most underrated actors working, is this... uh, He's kind of like Jesse Pinkman before Jesse Pinkman was ever a thing. He reminded me a lot of that character. Oh, yes. And uh, John Pignette, of all people, is this this idiot who just kind of hangs out with him. I love the casting in this movie. The casting is very good. John Travolta is the main villain. I've always liked John Travolta. Yeah, he's... He is a quality actor. He turns in good performances. He's intimidating in this. Oh, yes. Um, He plays a great villain. This and the taking of Pelham 123 are some of his best roles. Yeah. What do you think was your favorite part of this? Um, It's a tough question. Any scene with Frank Castle I like. Um, You know what? I think my favorite scene is when he meets Henry Heck with the guitar, and they do that little mm. car chase, and he pulls out yeah. the, the switchblade. He's like, you are so dumb bringing a knife to a gunfight. Yeah, that was... The, the, that's what I'm kind of getting at with the tonal problems, where the, he's just what? sitting in a diner, and this guy just walks in and plays an entire song for him, and I'm just kind of looking around like... Well, that's, that's, that's true to the comic, though. Okay. And, like, I haven't read a whole lot of Punisher comics, but this is pretty accurate to some of the two major runs that it's based off of. Um, <clears throat> like, the, the comics are pretty dark, but they are Marvel, so they, they are light to an extent. They're as dark as they can be. Um, but this movie, I think, pushes that envelope just a little little over what the comics are. Yeah, so apparently that guy was... Uh was Mark Colley, who's a country singer-songwriter who writes for a lot of larger acts, which makes sense. I'm mm-hmm. wondering if he wrote... Uh... Yeah, he wrote that song that he played. So oh, that's, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Nice little tidbit. Yeah, it was I mean, it was a good song. I liked it. It just seemed a little little out of it, a little weird out, out there. There's a lot of things in this movie that are out of place. Yeah. Kind of everything that happens around him that's not involved with the mob is just out of place. Yes. See, my favorite scene is... Um, when he's trying to warm up to his friends Bumpo and and Spacker and Rebecca Romain as Joan, and they're all making dinner downstairs, and he's doing something. I think in a lower he's level. fighting the Russian. 
Yeah, there's this Russian guy who comes in wearing what looks like Where's Waldo cosplay. Like it's this striped <laughs> red and white shirt and those pants, and he he's just jacked and he's got bleached hair. And they just get into a fight for like five minutes. And that's a long fight scene. It's a long fight scene. That's a great fight scene too. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but there's no music or anything in that scene except for when it cuts to the neighbors, and it really gives all the punches and impacts weight. Yes, but the neighbors are listening to uh, a fairly well-known um, classical music or opera song, uh, La Donne Immobile, and it's it's very silly trying between the two. So like, I was just you know kind of enjoying the movie a little bit, and then that happened, and I was almost on the floor laughing at it. And I think that's kind of the intent. Like, yeah. it's a little sillier than the rest of the movie is. It it's definitely needed because by this point in the movie, it's just so grim and dark and and. The mob's just starting to come for Frank Castle. Yeah. So you got to lighten the mood a little. Yes. Uh, another thing I really liked, there was a, um, a sequence where he's torturing uh, Mickey, who's played by a good character actor I like called Eddie Jemison, who's in a bunch of other things, usually as like a wimp or... or yeah, he's usually a side character. Yeah, and he's, he's great in this too, but he's strung up and Frank is torturing him but you realize at the end that he's playing tricks on the guy and hasn't even really hurt him. I love that scene, yeah. too. That's a great scene. Um, for those who haven't seen it, he's basically blowtorching a stake while putting a popsicle on his back to make him think he's burning his skin off. Yeah. But, and popsicle, you think, why is it popsicle? But he explains that um, you're burning away so much nerve, it just feels like cold. Yeah. It's it, so you, you get the feeling that Frank is you know not a bad guy, but he's also a pretty smart guy. Well, that's the entire point of the character, though. He's not a bad guy. He just does what needs to be done. Yeah. So let's let's talk about how this kind of relates to um, current climate. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of see. Well, I think what, what's what's really relevant is before I watched this, I actually watched the the pseudo-sequel, which is a short film called Dirty Laundry, which is even more violent than this is. So I was expecting this to be even more violent than it actually was, and obviously right now with what's been going on, I was afraid I was just going to see, you know, an angry white dude just, you know, killing people. And a couple of days ago, uh, you know, an angry guy at a... At a, at a um, at a protest shot a couple of protesters and just found out today that he is not having charges pressed against him so it's pretty some bullshit pretty brutal yeah it really is so like the whole point of the punisher's character is he feels like the justice system doesn't go far enough because every all the corrupt people get off because they have money they pay everyone off and he's there to quote-unquote punish them because they deserve punishment because they're the big baddies and i th um, if you notice a lot of cops have the uh, punisher skulls on their cars and like tattoos and whatnot and that really pisses me off because they should be upholding justice not punishing you know that's why we have the vigilantes working outside the law the cops are not vigilantes yeah they should and, be working within the system yeah and I think this is a good movie that kind of showcases what vigilante justice is versus the by-the-book justice system. Yeah. There's, there's not any major character 
That's a police officer to my recollection. Uh, his best friend who sells him out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good point. Yes, forgot about that. I forgot he was even was a cop. Um, well, I guess Frank is an ex-cop, but yeah. Yeah, FBI agent, cop. They're all in the system. It's like, you- ever since this movie came out, and there was kind of like a almost sequel called Punisher Warzone, but Tom Jane's not in it. It's I think it's its own movie, not a sequel. But ever since this came out, they're just... Marvel's kind of toned down their violence, so a lot of people kind of forget how brutal the Punisher can be. Yes, he's a. Uh, it's. I remember that the character from. He would show up in Spider-Man cartoons when I was a kid. He was yeah. in a couple of video games and stuff. So. But in those like side stories, you, again, you don't really see what he does when he teams up with Spider-Man. Spider-Man makes him use stun rounds and non-lethal ammo. Yeah. And. Punisher. Punisher teams up with a lot of Marvel characters. I think within the last 10 years, the only thing to really get his character right has been the Daredevil show. Yeah. Because he had a spinoff with... Um, John Bernthal. Yes, from Walking Dead. And yes. He's, he looks much more... I mean, Thomas Jane is, is not... You know, he's a, he's a pretty built man, but John Bernthal was... John Bernthal's huge. rugged. He, he's yeah. got the look for like a... An older Punisher, and in this it makes sense because Tom Jane's kind of—he's kind of a pretty boy. He's—he yeah. doesn't really look like Frank Castle, but again, he yeah. just became the Punisher. Yeah, uh, Thomas Jane, at least at that point in his career, and he still kind of does now. He looks like a very fit, but still within the realm of reality mm-hmm. person. He's not like you know superstar buff, but he's—he's he's very fit. I think Thomas Jane's one of the most underrated actors. He really is. He's like he's great in Hung. He's great in Boogie Nights. He's great in The Mist. He's great in this. I want to see him in more things. Yeah, he's got a very good low key sense of humor. Like he's never the funniest guy in the room, but he can you know deliver a good sardonic joke. And yes, things like that. He's been in a bunch of Stephen King movies. Yeah, he's in he, Mist, which is the thing I recognize him most for. Oh yeah, he he's. Steals the show in that. Yeah, there's he's got to do some really got to do some really dark places in that movie and still feel very uh, grounded. He is a very small part in Scott Pilgrim, which is oh, yes. funny in. That's my favorite scene in that movie too. <laughs> like whenever he shows up, I'm just happy. I'm like yeah. Tom Jane's getting work. This is great. <laughs> yeah, he's only in it for about forty five like, um, seconds. Yeah, if you that. remember that bit. Yeah, um, he's great. Would you watch another one of these? Uh, there was going to be another, and then it kind of fell apart and turned into that remake, Warzone, yeah. which I never never ended up seeing. I didn't see Warzone either, but I've heard nothing but bad things. I would love to see a new Punisher movie this gritty starring Tom Jane. Yeah, I'd want it to have some amount of humor, but not the goofy humor that the movie kind of falls into. Yeah. Like, having John Pignette is a really weird choice, because he's known for very broad comedy, and that's mm-hmm. what he brings to this. Like he's a very broad comedy guy, and yeah. that's not what you, you need a bit darker humor, I think, to make the film work. Yeah, this came out in a time where everything was super dark, so you, you could tell they wanted to lighten the mood with some situational comedy. Yes, but it feels very 2004. It does, and... <laughs> Watching it almost 15 years later, it's it definitely aged, but I think it aged better than a lot of other movies in that time period. Yes. Uh, they they passed those movies out to whoever would make them, and the Daredevil ones, for example, did not age well. I disagree. I like the Daredevil movie. It's corny, but it's fun. 
I like the first two Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. The third one's a mess. I love the third one. <laughs> I recognize that it's a mess, but it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah, it's a fun mess. But Spider-Man 2 is probably the best comic book movie ever made. I really, really like that one quite a lot. Um, but do you do you see another one if there was? You know, an oh, yeah. I, I would watch any Punisher movie with Tom Jane. I'd watch any Punisher movie any, anyways. I, I, I'm going to seek out Warzone soon and check that mm. out. There's also one from the 80s starring Dolph Lundgren. Ah, I did not know that. I'll yeah, to, uh, we'll have to watch that. <laughs> yeah, he's, that's a guy to uh, to look out for. There's also Stallone playing Judge Dredd in the 80s. Or huh. 90s, that was 90s. It was 90s? Yeah. yeah that that one's knew, pretty good, check that out. I knew about it, I, did, I have not seen it. You can borrow it. Alright. <laughs> Alright, let's move on to 2009's Watchmen. Yeah. So... This is this is a tougher one to talk about because it's a simplified version of the comics plot, but there's still a lot of plot going on. Yeah, it's a th- we watched the director's cut, which is like three hours and what six minutes. I watched the ultimate cut, which is an extra thirty minutes longer than that. Oh, it has I, all of the uh, the Black the, Freighter stuff cut in. I wanted to see that one. I it, just don't have four hours. <laughs> yeah, the the issue that the Black Freighter is cool and it works in the comic, but it kills the pacing of the movie oh yeah it, i thought it killed the pacing in the comic for me too yeah then again i haven't read it since high school yeah it's uh it's cool to have that stuff in there but it just when things are ramping up and it keeps coming back to this animated pirate it, it, it literally it's happening in a different movie it's yeah. just it's not what you wouldn't want to be doing like when they're just just trying to unravel this actual mystery and it, it works in the end of or it works in the comic when there's enough stuff going on where other plots so it's not just one thing rushing but yeah. it just it slows it to a crawl and unfortunately um, I think uh, Zack Snyder agrees because I remember him saying that in interviews that, like it's, it's cool but it's not it's a party movie it's, it's for like the diehard fan yeah and like even when the animateds came out they were only what 30 45 minutes and they were straight to dvd yeah so like yeah it's it's really there for the ultimate fan the animation is it's not bad but it's not you know theatrical release good yeah it's like tv level animation so that's that's the thing but yeah the uh the story is about um an alternate universe 1985 something like that yeah richard nixon is still president he's they uh, repeal i believe it's the 24 is the Twenty Second Amendment that allows or restricted people to to uh, two terms? I think it's Twenty Second. I think it's Twenty Second. Twenty Second. I don't know. I have to look that up. I only know like the first fourteen or something. But uh, he's he's been president forever, and there used to be masked superheroes, and there aren't anymore. They've been outlawed, except for two who were allowed to continue: Doctor Manhattan and the comedian who are basically super cops, pretty much. Yeah, Dr. Manhattan, they basically use him as a walking nuclear bomb. Yeah. Hence the name, Dr. Manhattan. He is a guy who was killed in a freak accident and managed to rebuild his body, and he has essentially unlimited power. He can grow to any size. He Mm -hmm. can be in multiple places at once. He can explode things. He can teleport. Yeah, he teleports to Mars at one point. Yeah. He's... What's interesting about him, too, and I liked this more in this viewing than I had in a while, he just talks forever mm-hmm. about meaningless gobbledygook. And it's not because of what he's saying is important. It's not important. 
it just you, you know how exhausting it is being around this guy. Yeah, I really like Doctor Manhattan. I I think he's my favorite character in the movie. Yeah, he's a very cool character, but in the beginning, especially, he just does not care about humanity anymore. He, I love his backstory. Mm-hmm. It's really tragic. But, yeah, he even says himself, the only thing keeping him on Earth and keeping humanity alive is Silk Spectre. Yeah. Silk Spectre is, um, she's the second generation superhero. Her mother had been the same the same person. There's another character like that who was, had, a friend had been a previous version. Uh, Night Owl. Night Owl, yeah. So... The plot kicks off when someone breaks into Comedian's apartment and kills him, and the, the remaining heroes come together to figure out who did this and uh, try to solve this, this mystery. It's a story that's been around for a long time. It has a pretty interesting ending. It's just it's a very long film. Even the theatrical cut is two and a half hours long, and it's very violent. The, and the violence is very mm. overt. It's in-your-face violent. Yeah. There is there's more gore than you expect to see in a superhero movie. But that's the thing. It's not really a superhero movie. It's more yeah. of an anti-superhero movie. Yeah. Because ba- basically, the superheroes and vigilantes, they have too much power, and they start acting on their own outside of the law. Yeah. And part of why Comedian gets killed is because of his actions while working. Yes. There is a... There's a scene from earlier in time when he is working with Night Owl, who's basically like the Batman analog. He has all the cool gadgets. And uh, Comedian is kind of like a Punisher analog, only yeah. far more psychotic. I'd agree with that. And he just opens fire on a crowd of innocent people, and he looks like he's just having a blast. He's, you know, He murders a woman who's pregnant with his child, just shoots her in cold blood, and... He committed tons of war crimes in Vietnam. Oh, yeah. But he was given... It's not so much in the movie, but in the comic, he's basically just given carte blanche to do whatever he wants in Vietnam. It's... It's, it's dark. Chilling. It's very It's very chilling. And I think that's, you know... One, I think it's very relevant to today and how it, it, asks, it asks very difficult questions. Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah, it's I think the most famous question it asks is, who watches The Watchmen? <laughs> who watches The Watchmen? We do. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, nowadays, nobody yeah. really. Nobody, yeah. But I, I need to make me joke. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, there's, you know, we're in a time when there's police unions who just let people get away with everything. I mean, we're, we're recording in Buffalo where... You know, two weeks ago, a 75-year-old man was pushed by police officers and fell, and apparently now he can not walk. Yeah, and a uh, fractured skull, yeah. and they're saying it was a setup. Yeah. It's like, a, does I that make sense? His name, I believe his name was Martin Gugino. Yes. I could be wrong about that. Uh, it's, it's a shame. Like, maybe he should not have walked directly into a line of... Of police officers. Well, no, because no, he's peaceful protester. He, he, he wanted yeah. to talk to him, and then like a fucking cop pushed him. Yes, I mean that's what I'm saying. Like, maybe that was not the smartest thing to do, but it was certainly it was not a warrant for someone to push him over and you know knock him down. It's it's pretty rough. So yeah. it's you know this movie is difficult to watch, but I think it's important to address these concerns. It this movie is extremely timely because that scene you were talking about where he just opened fires on innocent people—they were protesting the Nixon law, I believe—and mm-hmm. because 
That was after the Vietnam stuff, which in this universe, the U.S. won. Yes. On it, like unequivocally, basically due to the... Uh, due to Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan, and to a lesser extent, the comedian. Yes. I mean, Dr. Manhattan is on his own separate level, but the comedian was just kind of running around just shooting people and just... Yeah, you know, he was doing whatever the hell he wanted. Yeah. But, yeah, this movie, I think, is extremely timely. And the, the show, which came out last year, I think it's more timely now than it was yes. a year ago. Yeah. And I have not seen the show yet, but I really should check it out. It's definitely worth watching. Yeah. Another thing we haven't talked about is... Um, uh, Rorschach, who's kind of like the other half of Batman. For a long time, he and uh, Night Owl had worked together, like kind of two sides of the same coin. He's the more psychotic side of Batman. He's not the upstairs. Rorschach is kind of weird because they paint him as a villain, but as you learn more and more about him, you realize he's the only good guy on this team, apart from Night Owl. And he'll do whatever it takes to take down the i believe he calls it filth of the city yeah so oh man jackie earl haley was born to play rorschach he's so good in it and uh in the comic he wears a mask that is constantly changing and Mm -hmm. it it works really well on on screen yeah it doesn't look goofy and 10 years later it doesn't look overly cgi'd yeah I i thought this movie aged really well the cgi is still great yeah. And it feels like it came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, Doctor Manhattan is rendered entirely through motion capture that was apparently mm-hmm. recorded on set. Uh, Interesting. Poor Billy Crudup had to wear this giant suit that glowed blue. So That's they had, awesome. Like a key light and stuff. So he had to. I imagine keeping a straight face was difficult on some of those days with Jackie O'Haley wearing that ridiculous like head thing that probably just had like holes for his eyes. I love it. And just growling up a storm. And meanwhile, Billy Crudup is talking as quietly and as calm as he can in this glowing blue suit. And he's always talking about humanity doesn't know humanity this, humanity that. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, what, what's, what I like as well is that um, his voice is basically, like, it's, it's flat, but it's not augmented in any way. It's yeah. not processed. He's and, just yeah. talking. Yeah, like, I think that makes it look really cool. I agree. It doesn't make him feel like an alien because he's not. He's from Earth. Yeah. He's, he's a human. He's just a human that has managed to rebuild his body in a different way. Yes. It's, yeah, it's uh, He's probably my favorite. I'm not saying my favorite character, but I like the character a lot. Yeah. Um, even though just some of his monologues are just like just nonsense. I like his monologues. Yeah. But uh, what's your favorite scene in this? There is, um, I think I like the sequence when uh, Night Owl, when uh, Dan takes Lori out to dinner and they reconnect and mm-hmm. they, you know, they realize that they miss it. They missed being superheroes. And, and then they, they go and find trouble. They go and find trouble and they fight and uh, they were unable to make a connection earlier. And then they get together and they save a bunch of people from a burning building. And then that's when they're able to be together romantically because they reverted to who they they really are and i think it's a really cool sequence yeah that's that's less of a sequence and more of a story arc because from the start of that to the end of that sequence is like two hours (laughs) (laughs) but it it pays off it's a great payoff yeah that's what gets them into that whole thing and there's also like a really good sequence with um 
with Rorschach getting arrested in the setup. That's my favorite scene. Yeah, going into prison. When, when he gets interviewed and you learn his backstory and then everything with Rorschach in jail is just brutal. Yeah, Jackie Haley is just giving it 110% in that. He should have won the Oscar for this. He's not doing a ton. I, like, he's not like, you know, overt. Like, he, he's one of the kind of performances that makes it look really easy. That makes mm-hmm. everything look simple. He acts with his face. Yeah. Because he's not really, like, doing... He doesn't have a whole lot to do. So he has to sell it. Mm-hmm. And he's making these very these very deliberate movements where he's not moving overly quickly until he needs to. And mm-hmm. The character's so messed up that he thinks that the mask is his actual face. He even calls it his face. Yeah. He's like, you took my face. Yeah. Where's him, my face? Him looking like a human being is his disguise. Yeah. Because yeah. you see him throughout the movie without the mask on. And until you find out that it's him you're just like who's this guy and that's one problem with the ultimate cut is that you find out a lot earlier that that's probably Rorschach do you? yeah because oh. uh, keep a return or re uh, inserts a lot of those newsstand scenes from the comics oh, okay. to kind of lead into the Black Freighter because oh, I like him just kind of walking around the newsstand he's outside the funeral he's outside yeah. dinner he's in like almost every establishing shot yeah he looks just like uh, like Rorschach from the comics. Yeah, and there's some amount of makeup to that, but you know he he's so convincing. I want to sidetrack for a sec and say yeah. that they really screwed up not casting Jackie Earl Haley as Carnage in the Venom movie because yeah, he, he looks just like Cletus <laughs> Cassidy. Yeah, yeah, he's a well he. He dropped in and out of acting. Like he was a child star, and then he stopped mm-hmm. acting for a while, and then he got back into it. And I think he might be kind of out of it again for a while. Like he only does it when he feels like it. Yeah, He's and I appreciate that. But yeah, he I just acts he, he wants to. He was in Alita: Battle Angel last year. That's true. He um he was the only good thing about the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> I hate that movie. That movie's awful. Yeah, but he's... I'd quit acting too if I was in that movie. <laughs> He pops up and does some stuff here. Yeah, he was in The Tick. He's in a couple shows. Yeah. Just a a good dude. Yeah. Anyways. um, One thing I do want to comment on is I love the soundtrack to this movie. It's phenomenal. Even if the music is turned up a little bit too high in the mix for my taste a lot of the time. I agree. The soundtrack in this and also the soundtrack in the show are spectacular. And some of it is from the comic where they um songs are referenced so they've used some of those songs uh but the opening sequence is fantastic too oh yes with um just the bob dylan song and you just get to see how this alternate universe history works yeah that's a really good way to establish what happened in the last 40 years prior to this movie yeah it's i think it's one of the best strongest sequences in the whole film i'd argue to say it's the best because it tells you so much with zero dialogue yeah and you just get to know all these characters about like needing to to you know hear them and see them interact. So when you actually do, because this movie jumps back and forth across large amounts of time. Oh yes, and it doesn't really feel that distracting, which is difficult. If to do. the editing in this is phenomenal, if everything flows extremely well, and like when it goes back in time, you're almost a little confused at first. Like, wait, weren't we just in the bar? Yeah, but because it's so seamless. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is the same guy who... He edits for a lot of Zack Snyder's movies, but he also did the uh, the Planet of the Apes series, the recent Oh, one. nice. So, yeah, he knows what he's doing. Do you like Zack Snyder as a director? Uh, 
I think he's a very good visual director. I think he knows how to tell a story. I think his he's a little wooden with actors. A lot of times you don't get a great performance, yeah. which is a shame. But I think on the whole, I like the guy. Um, but I haven't really connected with his superhero movies. Like the real. Uh, how do you feel about Zack Snyder? Um, kind of agree with you. I enjoy watching his movies, although they're not always great. Batman vs Superman will always be one of my most loved yet most hated films. Um, we can spend a whole show talking about that if you want. <laughs> I have a soft spot for Sucker Punch, but I admit it has Sucker Punch problems. is fun. Yeah, it's it's visually fun. The story sucks, but yeah, uh, yeah. that's that's how I would 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 talk about Zack Snyder. His stories or their his movies are visually fun to watch, but the stories aren't great. Yeah. So I think when he gets to do something more of a straight adaptation like this, where he basically just cut the whole comic in wholesale, mm-hmm. it you know makes it better. It's just a simplified version of the comic with um, one significant change at the end. Do we want to get into... Yeah, let's talk end? about it. Yeah. Because uh, I, I like the goofy comic ending. Yeah. In the in the comic, um, there well, in both versions, there's a big disaster that, that attacks the world to kind of bring everyone together. And it's and manufactured in the comic. It's a big, giant space squid monster. <laughs> it's huge. It's enormous. You, there's one giant splash page. It's like the size of... It's the final page, too. Yeah. It's a, it might not be the final page, but it's I think it's the page. final page. I remember, like, ending on that. Yeah. It's a, it's a very striking uh, very striking scene. And in the movie, it's bombs made of the energy of Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Um... I kind of like the squid better. Yeah. It's more comic yeah. booky. It's very much more comic book. I think if you're going to make a change, though, to make a change that relates it more directly to one of the characters is an interesting choice. It, it sort of forces Manhattan's hand when he has to leave Earth. Mm-hmm. He just goes off in the comic without really any reason for it. But in the in the movie, it makes a lot more sense why he would leave. I agree with that. I think... As a movie, the bombs make more sense. Yeah. But if we're going from a comic book perspective, I like the yeah. the giant squid. Yes. And Alan Moore, who wrote the comic, although he's not credited in the film... He wanted nothing to do with yeah. it. He, uh, he writes incredibly dense comics. Oh, yes. This and V for Vendetta, the other one he's most well-known for, are, are insanely... And maybe um, Lee of Extraordinary Gentleman, probably for a bit as well. But they're Did so he write dense. that? He did. I did not know that. It's so dense. There's so much going on. There's a lot. There's not like a any more dialogue than there is in most comic books, but it means more. The guy just thinks everything through. It's a very weird. Do you know that. what percentage of his his um, manuscripts get cut versus what like what he writes versus what gets published? Do you know the ratio I, of that? I don't know. I don't either. Yeah, because I know that he would turn that stuff into the illustrator, and they would do what they did with it. But I mean, he—he's one of those uneditable guys now. I think because he yeah. just made his name, and he just kind of does what he wants. And he completely took his name off Watchmen. He's not credited in this or the show, and he doesn't even talk about it anymore. No, he doesn't like. I don't think he likes what the movie became. No, he. Um, I think he has. He's very protective of his work. He doesn't like how they kind of get turned into more mass market stuff. Yeah. V especially. Um, oh, yeah. It, the, the comic is much more ambiguous. V is not a great dude in the comic. 
They turn the movie into an action blockbuster. Yeah, and that's not what. And like, it's a fine movie, but it's it not is. the comic. Yeah, I like the movie, but it's not a great adaptation. But I think it's a good movie on its own, and that's yeah. what I feel about this. I think it's a pretty solid movie. That's a decent adaptation. Um, I enjoy it. I think it looks really cool. I, it's probably my favorite of Snyder's films. It's definitely up there for me. Yeah. It. I forgot how much I liked this movie until I watched it again. Yeah. And it's long, but you know, it doesn't feel like three hours, especially yeah. well, if you I, take a little break. Well, you I, watched yeah. the four hour cut. I but. watched the four hour, but I also took it, like, I also watched it in, in sections. I didn't yeah. just sit there and watch it for four hours. I, yeah. You know, I paused it for a little bit because uh, I ran out of time that day. I, I miscalculated. But I, I could have sat there and watched the whole thing in one sitting. Yeah. So. Would you watch another one? Yeah. Um, I will watch the show. There, uh, I don't know anything about the show aside from it's. it takes place in the universe of the comics like 20 or so years later. Yeah, with the squid. Yeah. And so the I, cool thing about the show, like you'll see this in the first episode, when it rains, there's like alien squids raining from the sky. Ah. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, I'm going to uh, have to check that out. That It's only nine episodes. Out. Oh, not too bad. Yeah, great cast too. But we're getting off topic. Yeah. Um, we should probably talk about a little bit about how this ties into what's going on right I now agree. as well. So I know mean, we mentioned before that there's a sequence with uh, with the comedian just kind of opening fire on people, and it it felt really sadly relevant. Unfortunately, yeah, like a little too relevant. Yeah, so it's it's a pretty it's a pretty dark world going on right now. You know, we're we're trying to bring as much levity as we can. You know, just give people a little bit of a distraction. You know, shine some light on some on some art. But yeah, there's some scary stuff going on. So, hmm. uh, I mentioned in the in the you know, cold open that we're going to be talking about. Uh, to Five Bloods next week and Red Tails, which you know are kind of action adventure movies with a uh, with an African American perspective, and I'm looking forward to that. But uh, th- these movies, you know, definitely raise a raise a difficult couple of questions. Oh yes. So, um, any thoughts on that? Upon rewatching these, given the current climate, do you think that affected how you viewed these as a work of art? I do. I definitely do. I feel like, you know, if I had watched these a year or two ago, I would have just had a much more like straightforward comic book mm-hmm. feel. You know, I probably would have. I probably, I probably wouldn't have cared as much for Punisher, and I probably would have, you know, really liked Watchmen. Which was like, you know, this is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing what's going on I think definitely colored my my viewing of, of the films I agree like even re-watching these movies for the umpteenth time like last time I watched them was well before the current political climate and like it almost felt like watching these for the first time yeah uh, for me it was the first time seeing Punisher and I was kind of going in having seen Dirty Laundry and knowing what's going on with with police unions and the like and that definitely like set an expectation for me that the movie doesn't really reach to but it also 
I think you made me question what's going on. I think Dirty Laundry does a better job of showing who the Punisher really is as a character versus yeah. the movie. The movie, it's more of just like take down the mob film, where that short film really just shows what Punisher does on a day to day. Yeah, he he does some. I mean, there's some awful things that happen that he is witness to, and that some awful things that happen that he does, and it kind of makes you wonder, or makes makes me think, like you know, what is what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And it's definitely... It's intense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the people who are going out to protests you know, are definitely doing the right thing, but I think they also need to take care of themselves a little bit when they can. And, you know, these are movies that are definitely... I, I would recommend watching, but maybe not if you're involved in that world right now. Maybe you should go... Maybe hold them. off a couple yeah. months. You know, go uh, treat yourself to a nice comedy or something. Something that's a little, you know. I think, I think it'd be fun to rewatch these after everything kind of settles down. Like maybe in a year and see how how they hold up after. You know, hopefully if things you know get improve. Yes. If if, uh, you know, there's been some some things in the last couple days that are promising, and there's a bill that's being discussed in the Senate that I think could could be the start of something but we need to make sure that it's not the end of something this needs to be the start yes completely agree yeah. all right um yeah so that's it for this week uh thanks for listening yeah. and stay safe out there guys see you next week